Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Dan Lobby, and we are joined today while well, Lance Reisland is back for another day. He liked it so much on Wednesday that he's back for another day here on Thursday. But we are once again joined by Doug Maurice. And Doug, I don't remember the last time that you've been on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Is it like the draft? Do we have to go back that far? Are you telling us about Ohio State guys with the draft? I, I can't remember. That could be it. And then I think that's when Kevin Stefanski came in and said, you guys can't have him on anymore. <laughs> so then, uh, you know, stuff happens and then I get kicked out and now, but I'm back. No, I, we've just, you know, been doing a lot of Ohio State stuff and, uh, but always love what you guys do here. So I'm excited to be back on. Well, and, you know, you also did leave the country for like a week and a half. So I did. that threw things off. We recorded the quarterback draft and the coach draft without you. Those are coming next week, but uh, you know it, it just wasn't the same. I'll, I'll be honest. I did see somebody in London. My wife noticed him wearing a a cap that just said Cleveland, Ohio, <laughs> and it was like, "Is that a person from Cleveland?" It's like, it- "Hey, I'm going to London. What should I wear?" I have a hat that says <laughs> Cleveland, Ohio, or and if it's not a person from Cleveland, then who is it? Is it a native Brit? Who's like, hey, I bought this snazzy Cleveland, Ohio. Like, just people, in case they don't know what state Cleveland's in, who would wear that hat? I should have stopped them and asked, but I didn't. But it did remind maybe, me of Cleveland. Maybe there's some market there. Like, eh, nobody knows anybody's, nobody knows any cities in the U.S. Let's just tell them Cleveland is this. You want to wear a Cleveland hat? Or, or maybe you should it was say Rob- my Scottsdale, Arizona hat. I mean, it's like, <laughs> what? I don't know what they're doing. Who wears Is that a team on there? It's just a city and a state. Maybe it was Rob Lowe. You know, he wore that NFL hat to the, the 49ers <laughs> game. He just wears random yeah. city hats. Okay. Um, Doug is here because he has some questions. Uh, we like to let Doug get caught up on the Browns when he hasn't been around for a while. So he's got some questions about this defense. Lance is here because he has done so much work on Jim Schwartz's scheme, and he really knows the ins and outs of it. So Lance and I are going to kind of team up to try and answer these questions as best as we can. So, Doug, I will hand things over to you. Go ahead and, and fire away. Okay, so it seemed like last year a lot of people wanted the defensive coordinator fired, and then he got fired. And then it seemed like people were really excited about Jim Schwartz, both from like, a, he's a tough guy, and oh, by the way, he's got a great scheme. So I would like, Dan and Lance, you to characterize how much of an upgrade Jim Schwartz is from Joe Woods. And 
I don't know if that's if you want to do a one to ten scale and you think Joe Woods last year was a blank and you think Jim Schwartz will be a blank. You can use adjectives, uh, however you want to characterize it. But of course, it's it's an upgrade because one guy got fired and one guy got hired and Jim Schwartz has a long reputation. But how much is it a sea change? Is it like, no, it'll be better. But, you know, it's still about the players. I don't have a handle on what that one move, how much it will change this defense. So this is something we get from our texters too, um, from our football insiders. Like they'll ask, I actually did a little Q and a yesterday and a few people asked like, how much was Joe Woods to blame for last year? And how much were the players to blame for last year? And I think that's an interesting question. So I guess I'll do the one to 10 scale. I would say Joe Woods, I think he gets unfairly blamed a little bit, but there were certainly issues there. I would say he's like a five. So right in the middle, I think he can, I think he can coordinate a good defense. I think we've seen him do it for stretches, but I don't think he's anything like he's not some legendary. He's not Bill Belichick, right? Or somebody like that. Who is, I think Jim Schwartz, where he's going to really make a difference. And, and Lance, you can talk to his, you can speak to the differences in the scheme a little bit more than I can, but I think where Jim is going to make a difference is like, if I'm John Johnson is not here anymore, but let's say he was. And if I'm John Johnson and I'm like not happy with something, or I'm spouting off in the locker room, Jim Schwartz can come downstairs and say, John, you can't do that. I got Super Bowl rings. I've been doing this for years and years. Like, I'm Jim Schwartz. You can't do that. Greg Newsom. I don't want to play in the slot. Well, Greg, sorry, I'm Jim Schwartz. You have to play in the slot. I've I've got the uh I've got the leverage here. I've got the authority. I've won a Super Bowl. I've been a head coach. I've been a I've coordinated great defenses. This is my show. And I think there's something to be said about that. And I don't know that Joe Woods had that kind of I don't know what you would call it. That, that kind of leverage, that kind of authority necessarily. I don't think that's his personality as, as much. Uh, so I think that's something. I would say Jim Schwartz is probably an eight, to be honest. I, I'd put him that high. Lance, scheme-wise, what do you think is going to be different? Well, I think of scheme-wise, the first thing you're going to get is you're going to get it simplified. So when you hear the term player's coach, I always think of a player's coach. I think of people on the outside will say a player's coach is someone who uh, likes the players. I don't really think that's a player's coach. I think a player's coach is a coach that allows the players to play. And what I mean by that, that these guys this year are going to get lined up. There's not going to be a lot of question on who has what. So when you think about man coverage, when you think about getting lined up up front, they're going to be in a four-man front. There's going to be two backers in most of the time. They're going to be in a nickel defense most of the time with that fifth, you know, that fifth guy being, you know, a, a nickel guy, possibly a backer. They can, they're going to be very aggressive. They're going to be upfield. They're going to be penetrators. There's not a lot of two gapping. So he, it's going to be a lot more aggressive. And I think the players really like that. Like a guy like Denzel Ward is going to be in man coverage. I would not be shocked if Ward follows the best receiver around all game. And that's what he does. So during practice, he's working on man coverage. He's not working on He's not working on different zone coverages against different looks, against different personnel groups. He literally all week is working man coverage against the best receiver. Uh, you know, they'll play a little bit of zone, a little bit of match three. But for the most part, it's really simple. It's really aggressive. You can hold each other accountable because you know who has what. Uh, everybody's got to be a football player. That's the one thing that I've really noticed over those 17 games that I watched was these guys are all football players. That 2017 Eagles defense were all football players. They played linebacker. They, they were kind of positionless. They had uh, they didn't care who made plays, but they were all super aggressive. And I think the big thing, it's more than scheme. He brings an attitude, and that attitude has to 
come to the field for the Cleveland Browns. They have to be nastier. They have to be not as nice. Uh, and that's what I think they're going to get with Jim Schwartz is they're going to be just more aggressive and simple and play. And you'll know who the players are because you're going to be you're going to be in man coverage. You're going to be one on one. He's going to create matchups for you. So that's what I see schematically. It's just going to be more aggressive and simplified. Okay, that sounds better. Right. I don't know. I, I, I'll take it. Right. I, I don't know. It feels like I don't. And again, this is why I, Kevin Stefanski didn't actually say that I can't be on the podcast anymore. But as soon as Jim Schwartz got hired, I was like, well, he's going to be the head coach here someday. I don't know if it's going to be the middle of this year. I don't know if it's going to be the beginning of next year, the middle of next year. I don't know. But like when Jim Schwartz got here, I was like, oh, yeah, no, he's in. He's a tough guy. He's going to he's going to be in charge someday. But that's not what this is about. This is about defense. OK, so you guys. Question number two. You brought up Denzel Ward, Lance. When we think about the collective top three corners on this team, when we think about Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom, and Martin Emerson, how good can they be? Can they be like the top end of this? Could we say, hey, the Browns have the best corner group in the league? All right, that's too far. They're really good. You can always rely on them. They're they're talented, but they still need to show something. Like what? how good, how much of a strength potentially – could these corners be for this defense? Well, I think, you know, I, here's what I think. I always think as a coach, you win with reps. So when you're in a, when you're in a woods defense, which I agree with Dan, I think woods gets too much of the blame. I think five is a great number for him, even in be higher in terms of they made some plays at times, but you win with reps and there's only so many reps you have during a week of practice, whether you're high school, college or pro, you only have so many work days. So during those work days, you need to split up what you're doing. Well, now that's going to be split up a lot less. So simply from a coaching perspective, I think the Browns corners can be top five, at least top five, because they're going to be working very minimal stuff. They're going to be working man coverage, a little bit of cover three. Uh, but even in cover three, when you're outside, that's man in your zone. So you're going to get, you're going to get a, simplified, which means they're going to get more reps. And I always think you win with reps. So I think they can be a lot better than they've been because they're not going to be thinking. And I've said this to Dan a bunch, when you're thinking, your feet aren't moving. And that's what I think the Browns you know, get caught up sometimes is that they're thinking too much because there's so much on the plate. I don't think that's the case this year. I think they get lined up, they play, and I think they're going to play a lot better because they're going to know their job. So last year, we, we talked a lot about this secondary and we thought that it was going to be the strength of this team. We thought it was, we thought it had a chance. I mean, we thought the defense was going to carry this football team this time a year ago. They were going to carry them until Deshaun Watson got back. And a big part of that was going to be the secondary. So I have said this before. I've told our texters this. I've said this on the pod. I am just so much in the like, I have to see it first mode. So I see the potential for this secondary. I see the potential for this cornerback group to be really good. And like you said, Lance, to be one of the best groups in the NFL. But like Denzel Ward has got to stay healthy, right? He's He's got to be able to stay on the field. Craig Newsom, we talked about this yesterday. He's had one interception since high school. Like you got to start forcing turnovers and, and if – Jim Schwartz wants you to play in the slot. That might be how you have to get on the field. Martin Emerson is a young guy, and I really liked what I saw from him last year. And I think I think he's kind of the key to, to them playing that matchup game because they can put him on a bit, on any big receiver they want. And what he did against Mike Evans last year I thought was really impressive uh, when, when the Browns played Tampa. But again, I've seen guys have good rookie years and look good and, and with limited exposure, and then they get out there and they're playing – 90 100 percent of the snaps and, and they start to get exposed a little bit so i've just i've got to see it I, I see the potential there 
I see what these guys can be, but like we've been talking about this group now for a couple years. At least. I mean, Greg's only been in the league two years and, and Martin's a rookie, but we've been talking about this secondary for a while now being how they can be one of the best in the league. So I, I'm with Lance. I see the potential there, but I just, I, I'm not ready to just dive head first in and say, yep, this is going to be one. This is going to be like, when we did our AFC North position draft, I'll spoil this. We took the Ravens secondary higher than the Browns secondary. Now that was the entire secondary, not just the corners, but you know, there's a chance Marlon Humphrey is the best cornerback in the AFC North. And there's a chance that Chidobe Awuzie is the second best or the best cornerback in the AFC North. So, you know, neither of those guys play for the Browns. So I just, I, I got to see it. I, I've seen what those other guys can do. I need to see this cornerback group put it all together. Well, especially with this scheme now, right? So now they have to do it. Now they have the scheme that they they have no excuses, right? So they're in a scheme now that's going to say, you, you, me versus you. Um, and it's going to give them an opportunity to be good more than it has in the past where they're in zone and you get caught up and I don't want to get beat deep. Now it's going to be a lot of me versus you. So I think you're right. It's, it's uh, time to be good right now. Okay. Good answer. I, I don't even know. Like I feel like an idiot asking this question, but I feel like sometimes that's the role that I fill on this podcast. So I'll ask it with a gigantic number of caveats. Miles Garrett. Average basically a sack a game the last four years, right? I think he has more sacks than anybody else in the league the last three years combined. I feel like every year, I mean, if you Googled, will Miles Garrett win NFL Defensive Player of the Year? I would bet the over-under on headlines that have appeared that way on Cleveland.com might be like 16 over it's, under 16. It's funny you say that, Doug, because every year we have the discussion. We do this series of yeah. questions every year. It's like 20 questions, 21 questions. This year it's 23 questions, right? Because it's 2023. And every year, one of the questions is, will Miles Garrett win defensive player of the year? And every year so far, the answer to my knowledge has been no. <clears throat> he, he's not going to win it. He hasn't won it yet. It doesn't mean we should stop asking the question. But, and I don't even know how to phrase this, and I'm going to get myself in trouble. He's Miles Garrett. He's great. He's awesome. Is there a but with Miles Garrett? Is there a second part of that sentence when you see the year that Nick Bosa had last season? And when you, I don't know, sometimes it just feels like as great as Miles Garrett is, like, would you take TJ Watt? I don't know. People talk about Mike Parsons. Mike Parsons jumps on the scene. Oh my gosh, Mike Parsons never seen anything like it. He's so good. He's also been around a long time now. He, this is going to be year seven for Miles Garrett. He's excellent. The Browns would be lost without him. I'm not saying it's not a negative question, Dan. And I don't have a question. I don't, but I, can't, I don't even want to ask it because I don't want anyone to be like, oh, did you hear what Doug got? Do you, but do you know what I mean? Is there a but? Is there, hey, that guy is an A. That guy is a 10-year A. But he's not an A+. Plus. That, guy <laughs> is a, that guy is a 10-year A. But there's four edge rushers in the league. I'd take ahead of him, no doubt about it. That guy is an A. But uh, is he ever going to lead him to a Super Bowl? Like, I don't. I don't know if I'm the only person who who asked that question because then you get inside the stats and beyond the stat things and pressures and just like you know pass rush win rate and all those kind of things. It's like I don't know what what do you want from him? He's number one in everything. What are you asking? So maybe the answer is Doug Cram it, you ding dong. 
Or maybe it's not. Maybe that's not the answer. Dan, what's the answer to my non-question there? So I'm going to start my answer with a caveat as well. I feel like this is how we have to talk about Miles on this pod. Because people yeah. get people get angry if if you kind of wade into these waters with Miles Garrett. Because you're right, Miles Garrett is a great player. And if we did a draft of Browns players, which we've done in the past, and, you know, with positional value and all that, if we did a draft of Browns players, Deshaun Watson is probably number one, you know, banking on that. But if Deshaun Watson's not number one, Miles Garrett is number one. And mm-hmm. if Deshaun's number one, then Miles is number two. And I don't think anybody would argue, would argue with that draft order. I think we'd fly through the first two picks and move on to number three, which would be Joel Batonio. But that's not the discussion we're having right now. Uh, I, I have said this. I think Mary Kay has said this. I think there is still another level to Miles Garrett. I think there is still another step that Miles can take to become a 20 sack guy to have a year where he has 20, 22 sacks, whatever it is. I think he's got that kind of potential. And I think he's gotten in his own way a lot. I mean, he hit Mason Rudolph with a helmet. Like uh, no, no matter the circumstances around that, he did that. And he was having a great year that year. And he hit Mason Rudolph with the helmet and he got himself suspended indefinitely. And then he was, you know, driving his Porsche around and he flipped it. And his season wasn't the same last year after that. And he was playing with a shoulder that was bad. Can't hold COVID against him. He got COVID. That that happened to a lot of guys. Uh, you know, you can't really hold that against him. But that derailed one of his seasons, too. But Miles has kind of gotten in his own way sometimes. So for all his greatness, I do think there's still another level of Miles Garrett. And I do still think there's another level of like, oh, my God, I can't believe Miles has done this every single game this season. And this guy is far and away the best defensive player in the football. I don't know that we've ever used that sentence for Miles. And I, I think he's still got that kind of potential. I mean, Lance, Lance, you watch this. I mean, you, you break down this defense. You watch the film. The counter argument to this might be like, yeah, but do you see there's like four guys that block miles on every single play? What's he supposed to do? And yeah, the so- counter argument for Lance might be, I'm not engaging with Doug's stupid question. It's also <laughs> a very relevant thing for you to do here, Lance, if you want to. No, you know, I've heard, you know, it is, it's like, you kind of want, you know, more, you know, it's a, it's a good thing, but you want more. But I, you know, the first thing for me as a coach is that the Browns got to win more. And when you win more, a couple of things happen. First of all, he's in a scheme right now that'll allow him to be more successful because he has guys around him that are going to create better matchups. So in terms of schematically, everything, and it'll still be that way, but you have to, you can't just slide everything to Miles Garrett now and chip on Miles Garrett and do, I mean, he gets doubled on every play and I understand, but now they have other people. So that won't happen as much. Secondly, they have to be up more. They have to have a better offense. And when you have a better offense, you're going to create more opportunities. You know, me and Dan were talking about yesterday, the Browns can't be second and four on defense all the time where the offense can be pass or run. They need to they need to get up on teams. Uh, when they get up on teams, the other team has to throw, which is going to create more opportunities. They need to stop the run on first down. They need to get to second and 10, second and eight, second and 10 plus. That's going to create more passing opportunities and more pass rush opportunities. I'm sorry. So all those things tie into it. So I think there is more, I think, but it, when he talks about, um, you know, football being a complimentary game, there it is in a nutshell. 
right? You got to score more points. The other team has to throw more. You got to stop the run so you can pass rush more. You got to have more people around you so you can't get doubled as much. And the Browns have done all that. And with Jim Schwartz, now you're going to get those one-on-one matchups because they're going to have uh, Zadarius Smith inside of him at times. They're going to have, he'll be inside with Oboe outside. So they, they've created this, these matchups that hopefully uh, are going to create more opportunity to rush the passer. So, yeah, I think there's another level. I think there's another level I think he knows he can get to. But I think that all comes with everything around him, and they have to do those other things that are going to allow him to rush the pass some more. You can cut that out, Dan, if you need to, if it's too <laughs> controversial. You just I, maybe, maybe I it's won't. better for everybody. Again, it's for just me. so people are very protective of Miles, and, and I get it. Like Miles, And Miles is a great player, and he does things that no human being should be able to do when he bends the edge and comes around the edge like that. But I'm, I'm – I'll just tell you. I mean, I think if you asked Miles this question, you'd say, "Yeah, I could. I could be better. I can do more. Absolutely." And it's the standard he set for himself. He set his own standard so high that somehow you look at a guy who has led the league in sacks the last three years combined and say, oh, "Is there more there?" So it's his own fault for being so good. Okay. Uh... I question number four. Once upon a time, I was so excited when the Browns signed John Johnson III. I thought a safety was exactly what they needed that offseason. There, I felt like there were two or three safeties on the board, and they went out and got a guy from a Super Bowl team. I thought the way he played, I thought the way he led, the, the dot, all the stuff, and then uh, didn't really work. So, Juan Thornhill, why will this be better? And why is there anything that the Browns needed to learn from the JJ three experience? Because there have been off seasons where we've looked at these the safety group and been like, oh man, this is going to be a safety driven defense, and they're deep there, and holy moly, they invested. And um, you know, now they've moved one guy out and moved one guy in, Dan. And will this be better? And why? I. I'm going to let Lance go first here because I want to know what, what you, how you think Juan Thornhill fits in Jim Schwartz's scheme, because I think that's the first, I think that's the first thing we need to figure out. Like it's all about fit. And so how does Juan fit what Jim wants to do? Well, I think I really do think JJ three would have been good in, in, in this defense. I really do. Going back to what his strengths are uh, being Roman center field. I think he would have been solid. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what else was tied into that obviously, but football wise, I thought he was a good fit. What Juan Horn Thornhill does is that him and Delpit, they're interchangeable parts. So you're going to get this. So now you go away from this two safety, this two safety look, this two high hat, I like to call it. And now you're going to one high hat. So now Juan Thornhill is going to be in the middle of the field. Delpit's going to be down in the box. McLeod's going to play both. But all three are going to learn both, and they're going to know these positions. So the strong safety fits Delpit because he's going to be up in the box more. But he'll also be deep. And Juan Thornhill is going to be the one guy deep. Uh, who plays over the top. He's going to be in coverage against slots and things like that. But generally, he's over the top, setting the defense, playing center field. He's got to play sideline to sideline. He's got to be a great tackler, uh, which Juan Thornhill is. He's a great tackler in space. He gets downhill really quick. He also keeps things in front. He seems to recognize uh, uh, formations very well, personnel groups very well. So he's going to be able to get that secondary lined up. Again, not super hard to get the secondary lined up in terms of they all got a man for the most part, or they're going to be in a, uh, this match cover three, which is kind of just a, a zone where you read number two, but it's not real complicated at all. It's keeping it in front, and they don't play a ton of that zone, but it's like a cover three, very simple to run. So Thornhill is a really good fit because he does that very well. I think the better fit is McLeod because he can help both Delpit 
and Thornhill and play both positions. So it's a very simple position uh, with these guys because it's one high hat and they get to fly around and play football, get lined up. They're going to know their responsibilities. Again, more reps in practice because it's simpler. They play faster. Uh, that all ties into it. So I think Thornhill's perfect because he can play. He's a rangy guy back there that can play center field. So I love this question because I'm like really negative today. Doug, you're turning me negative today. I know. This is why I'm not on anymore. This is what I do to people. I apologize. Go Browns. But I, I love this question because, you know, this was another off season of, oh my God, the Browns signed this guy. Oh my God, the Browns signed this guy. And there, there's a reality to this. And I, I like that you brought up the John Johnson thing because a few years ago it was, oh my God, the Browns signed John Johnson. He was the best safety on the market. Unbelievable. I felt like a lot of the moves they made this year, and some of this is to Andrew Barry's credit because you have to do this as a GM. Some of the moves this year were making up for past mistakes. Like it didn't work with John Johnson, so they had to go sign Juan Thornhill. They ignored the defensive tackle position, so they went and paid Dalvin Tomlinson a bunch of money. Um, they tried to play the Jadavion Clowney game a year too long. And so then you got to go trade for Zadarius Smith. And I know that that didn't cost much as, as far as what they gave up, but it was still a move you had to make. Uh, you had to guarantee, guarantee him some money this year, um, you know, so he could become a free agent after this year, you know, and then you went and signed Oboe Okoronkwo because you needed to find, you know, you, you missed on those edge rushers last year, Alex Wright and Isaiah Thomas. I don't, you can't just pencil those guys in for production this year because they didn't show you a lot last year. So I felt like a lot of what they did this year in free agency and even just a little bit in the draft, you know, going and getting Elijah Moore with that second round pick um, to, to add another receiver instead of counting on young guys like Anthony Schwartz and David Bell again. I think a lot of that was making up for some past mistakes, which is on one hand, not great for Andrew Barry, but also on the other hand, it tells you Andrew Barry's willing to at least recognize, Hey, I'm, this was wrong. We made a mistake we got to go fix this. And he did it. And when you have owners that are willing to just throw around money, obviously that makes it a whole lot easier. But I, I think this is a case of it didn't work with John Johnson. And now you're throwing money at somebody else to try and make it work. And I like Juan Thornhill and I think he can be good. And even if he is good, that's still what this is. Um, you're, you're just kind of fixing a previous mistake. Yeah, I, it is hard. I, I agree with you about the Andrew Barry thing, but I, I, <laughs> It's about what the Browns are going to do this year with a full year of Deshaun Watson and and it, the people who thought like, hey, they were just trying to tr sort of tread water while they knew Deshaun was going to be suspended and it was really about now. I don't know if I'd buy that, but the thing that I, it's like, if you thought they did things wrong last year, which I think a lot of people thought as it was unfolding, what they did this offseason was like, oh yeah, no, they did do stuff wrong. Because they made up for the mistakes. Now, you that's better than ignoring your mistakes. But it's also like, by the way, you did make mistakes. So that'll lead me into my next thing. And I have a more specific linebacker question in a second. So I'll, I'll lump defensive tackle and linebacker in here generally. But it's really, I guess, more about defensive tackles. I've liked the idea of, hey, you can't invest in every position. It's an edge rusher cornerback league. It's all about the passing game. If you're going to try to save money somewhere, save it at defensive tackle and linebacker. I've agreed with that since the minute Andrew Barry got here. Great. Was he wrong? Dan, was he wrong? Was that strategy wrong? Like the idea, the strategy? Or is it like, no, that's still the way to build a roster, but some of the cheap defensive tackles they were hoping for would pop didn't pop. They had injuries at linebacker that decimated him, and that's really what happened. Or is it like, nope, 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 nope. 
that was too much of a simplification. You can't ignore on your salary cap those positions to that degree. He made a mistake in the strategy when it comes to building a roster, Dan. Ooh, this is a tough one. Um, I don't know if there was a mistake in the strategy necessarily, because I do agree. Like you can't have tons of money invested in every position. You just can't do it. Especially now that you're paying Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward and you're paying a quarterback there. You, there has to be some position or some spot that you leave short. And as you go through the value positions, defensive tackle is down the list. I think what happened is Jordan Elliott, like didn't pop. You know, they used a third round pick on Jordan Elliott and he didn't pop. The Taven Bryan thing was weird. A former first round pick, they kind of really went cheap there and tried to see if he could do something. Um, Sheldon Richardson was obviously too expensive for him. That's why they, I mean, they didn't want to pay him $10 million. So they, they moved on from him, but I, he was pretty valuable for them. So I just don't think they were ever, ever able to find that sweet spot of let's have a young, cheap draft pick and have another maybe like mid-level guy there and make that work. And then when like when Jordan Elliott didn't work out last year, and, and by the way, Jordan Elliott might be a starter again this year, we'll, we'll, you know, in, in this new scheme. Uh, but Elliott didn't work out last year. Perrion Winfrey didn't work out. Tommy Togiai hasn't worked out. Uh, you know, they end up drafting Siaki Ika this year. I, I think that's more of what it is than um, the, the strategy was a mistake. And because of that, because those players didn't work out now, they've got to take the Haslam's money and throw it at fixing the problem. Um, Lance, I, I mean, I, I mentioned Jordan Elliott, that, that he might be a starter again this year. Did, did you see some promise out of him last year? Well, if you remember going back to last year, the, the defensive tackle room was was my biggest concern uh, from the start from August. And the reason why is because it's not so much the uh, the, the term being like the cheaper tackles, it's the scheme for me. So the scheme they had with Woods, they were playing a two-gap scheme. So those guys had to be – to play a two-gap scheme, you got to be massive inside. you got to take on doubles and anchor in there and don't get moved. And that's not what the scheme is this year. The scheme is more upfield, penetrate your gap. Uh, you're still going to get your hands on, but now you're upfield. So Jordan Elliott has a chance to be really su- successful. I thought Taven Bryant, to be honest with you, then this new scheme could even be more successful than Jordan Elliott because of his play. Last year, that was last year's guys matched this year's scheme. They didn't really match last year's scheme, if that makes any sense, because they were undersized. So now that they're going to be penetrating and they're going to be getting upfield, I think it, it matches. So now you can be... You can find these guys who uh, – finding two-gap guys that can anchor in there and the Vince Wolferks of the world, those are really hard guys to find. The guys that can just not get moved but still create pass rush, those are not those are very hard to find. But guys who can penetrate, get upfield, um, take a gap, uh, are very explosive with their hands, can take on guards, those guys the Browns have now. And when you do that, that opens lanes for those linebackers. Now those undersized linebackers are going to run free because those defensive linemen are penetrating so much that double teams can't get off onto the linebackers. And that's what happens to smaller linebackers. They get engulfed by these 330-pounders who last year, because they were not penetrating, were just getting moved back into them. Now they won't. So now they'll be penetrating. So, uh, again, I think it's just the scheme. If you're gonna If you're going to play the short scheme, they have the right guys now. Heavy guys, guys can take a gap, guys who can create mismatches. Um, I've said this before. I've said it when Schwartz was hired. They're now not stopping the run. They're uh, just with run defense. They're pass rushing to stop the run. That's how they're going to play defenses. You're going to pass rush to stop the run by just causing chaos in the backfield. 
All right, let's talk about linebacker a little bit more specifically. Is Anthony Walker really the glue that holds this defense together? With what you saw, what happened when he got hurt last year, and the fact that it's like, ah, he's going to come back? No, he's going to come back. As... Like, how important is this guy? Is that for real? It's like you have Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward and JOK and Greg Newsom, and it's like, oh, if we don't have Anthony Walker, everything is going to collapse. Is that true, Dan? <laughs> I I hope not. Um, I... You know, Lance, I thought one of the things that hurt them, though, was that step down from Anthony Walker to Jacob Phillips. I think that was a real issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jacob did not play well last year when he got that opportunity. And we've, we've mentioned here a number of times, like, they wanted Jacob Phillips to win that job. He was he was getting the first team reps going back to spring, and they wanted him to be the starting Mike linebacker. And then right before the season – Depth chart comes out and Kevin Stefanski confirms it. Like Anthony Walker's your starting Mike. So they they clearly didn't, the coaching staff clearly didn't trust Jacob Phillips to be the guy. And it, it proved out after Anthony got hurt. I do think he was important. I think it's a little too too easy though to over to be like, well, Anthony Walker went out and then the run defense started to stink. I, I think there was just more to it than that. But I was a little surprised how important Anthony Walker ended up being last year well from schematically you know he's there anthony walker doesn't have won't have to set the front as much as they did last year so when you're in a basic four two five defense which which plays this two shell uh you got to set to the tight end no tight end multiple tight ends multiple wings uh two by two sets three by one two backs three backs uh you know the ravens look where they give you multiple tight ends with multiple motions uh you have to set the, so the mike linebacker is usually setting that front or setting the strength of formation this year, it's not so much. This year, you're going to get a three and a five, or three and a nine, and you're going to get a one and a five, or a, th- uh, a one and a nine. Uh, so you don't, you're not. There's not a ton of defensive movement. That's why his defense has been so good because they know where they're going and they're able to play fast. So in terms of Phillips, I think Phillips again, another guy uh, who's going to benefit from not having to read as much. Uh, again, a guy who's undersized. So when he's reading a double team, so if you, uh, you know, I said this yesterday with Dan, if there's a double team on a zone. Uh, and they're going to read, the backer's going to read if he's taking A or B gap. Well, now they're not doing that. That that defensive tackle is not two gapping. He's not taking both gaps. He's taking one gap, and the linebacker's taking one gap, which allows you to play fast. So, again, um, the idea Dan mentioned yesterday, it's like covering kicks. These linebackers, they get to run around and make plays this year. There's not a lot of rules. They have to They have to play over the top, and they have to take open lanes that are open by the chaos caused by the defensive line. So if they're going to be successful, again, this is going to be a year where JOK and Phillips and Walker, these guys are going to be successful because they're undersized, but they do have a nose for a football, and they can run. So this scheme is going to help them as well because there's not as much reading. They just get the run. But I will be concerned, Doug, if <laughs> – if it happens again, if like Anthony Walker gets hurt again and it's like, oh no, what are we going to do? And JOK's out there and some of the, the, these other guys are out there that, that like JOK needs to be the guy at that's in that second level. Like he needs to be the guy. It can't be like, oh, Anthony Walker's our best linebacker. Which leads me into our next question. And, and it's not that I'm just feeding off Dan, it's that Dan and I are simpatico. We're thinking along the same lines because I wanted to ask about Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. Entering year three, you just go back and look at PFF grades. Ah, PFF grades, what are they good for? I don't know. He has a bad tackling grade. He had a bad tackling grade last year. He had a bad tackling grade as a rookie. Where are we on the JOK is a future star tracker at the moment? 
Are we still like, hey, it was a brilliant pick. I can't believe he fell to the second round. Holy moly. What a steal. They could have taken him in the first round. This guy's a playmaker. Wow. Just let him loose and he's going to be a stud. Or, Dan, are we like, eh, we pull him back a little bit on that? Well, it's funny you ask that, Doug, because if people want to go on YouTube and search Cleveland Browns on Cleveland.com, they will find our Browns YouTube channel. And there's a little tab there titled Shorts. And if you click on that, there is a short video, a minute-long video of me and Lance, and the title of it is Will Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa Thrive in Jim Schwartz's Defense? So this is a topic. This is, and it, and I think there's other places I posted where I've been much stronger. I've said Jeremiah Usakoromoa will thrive in Jim Schwartz's scheme. I think he fits. I he fits this really well. He has always kind of played the position like a running back, and he's really good at finding seams and finding holes and shooting gaps and making that one kind of big play. For you know, I'm thinking of the. I can't, I'm blanking on the running back's name, but the Ravens running back last year, Wusu uh, Cormo forced a fumble. And uh, I don't think it was Gus Edwards. I think it was their other backup. And he forced a fumble. It gave the Browns the ball back. Justice Hill? Chance. Yes, Justice that's Hill. who it was, Justice Hill. And they had a chance to go win that game. Um, so I think he's got that kind of potential. And I think in this scheme, which we've, we've, we talked about it on the pod yesterday, we talked about it in that video where the linebackers are a little bit de-emphasized and it's, find a gap, get through it, and go get the football because these guys in front of you are just creating all kinds of chaos. I think he's got a chance to thrive. And also, I'll mention, he does look bigger this year. He was he was too small last year. You know, I don't know what his, what his weight was. I don't know if he was under 200 or not. But just eyeball test, he was too small. And there was a lot going on in his life, and I think that affected him. I think this year, I think mentally, he's going to be in a better place. And I think physically, he looks better. He's, he's got to stay healthy, though. So, yeah, I think – so if you take – if you take two guys are going to thrive. I think JOK, we talked yesterday, we talked Delpit because of the scheme. They're going to be down in the box. They're going to be – I see them I – see, I think JOK can play any of those linebacker spots because of what they're doing with the defensive front. But when you think about them being in this uh, – predominantly this nickel look with Newsom at the, uh, uh, at the nickelback, well, that nickelback's not a backer now. It's a nickelback. It's a true nickel. So you're going to get him on the third receiver, and you're going to get JOK, who's going to be in that tight end to the run strength or to that slower slot or the bigger slot, or if they split out a tight end if they're in 11 personnel. So him on the edge, and I think, Dan, you said it best, his ability to uh, – he gets really skinny through the hole. Um, some guys just have a knack of not being blocked. They don't give up a lot of surface area. He does a great job of being uh, – he's called skinny and slimy through the hole. So he he does a lot of those things really well. And again, he's not reading as much. And I don't want to, you know, Schwartz has said it a bunch of times where a high school coach can understand it. It's not that simple, but in terms of the NFL, this defense is very simple. And I don't care what level you're at. If you're down and set, if you're down and set and know your job and know your rules and can play 100 miles per hour, you're better. And that's what you didn't see last year out of any of these defenders, especially JOK. So JOK is going to be set this year. And he's going to get to play at 100 miles per hour. And when you get to play at 100 miles per hour, I don't care what position it is, you're going to be good. And JOK has all the skills. So I'm with you, Dan. I think he's going to have a great year. And I think him him and Delpit are going to be super, super productive in their spots down in the box. All right. So there's a guy I've been saving kind of on purpose to talk about here. 
If we would call Jadavion Clowney last season, let's say two years ago, Clowney, right? Like 2021 Clowney. That's like good Jadavion Clowney, right? Is that a fair, like that? He was good. Is that a good way to say it, right? And then maybe we would call last year a uh, guy who wants to quit the team in the middle of the year, Clowney. Or just like whatever what phrasing we would want to use. Like not as good. Like wants to like wants to depart, wants to not be. So that, right? That's different. Is Darius Smith, like, is that good clowny? Is that, what are we talking about? Like, is is that what we should be thinking about with the addition of an edge guy opposite Miles Garrett? Is good clowny in 21 our jumping off point? Is it is it better than that? I mean, the constant search for who's the edge guy opposite Miles Garrett is such an important part of this team. I'm just looking for context, I guess, in comparison to clowny of what Darius Smith is going to be. I think it's better than 2021 Clowney. I think Clowney was really good that year, but you can even poke some holes in, in kind of the year he had. Uh, he had nine sacks, but four of them came in the last two weeks of the season when the season was over and he was kind of chasing, he was kind of chasing that, uh, that bonus money a little bit to get to the, the sack total that he needed. That said, he was, he was very good that year. He was, he was excellent. And then last year we've, you know, we don't need to rehash all of that. I, I said it in the offseason. Like, you play the Jadavian Clowney game too long, you're going to get burned. And that's ultimately what happened. I think Zadarius, what he did last year before the injury was, I mean, this is a guy who was getting defensive player of the year buzz. And so if he is that player, I think he's better than 2021 Clowney. And I mentioned earlier, Jordan Elliott could be your starter inside next to Dalvin Tomlinson. Well, I've also said that it wouldn't shock me if Zadarius Smith is lined up inside on the first snap of the first week of the season uh, as, as your starting interior defensive tackle. I think that versatility is going to be big too. So the upside of Zadarius Smith, I think is higher than Jadavion Clowney 2021. Absolutely. I, I think he's, he could be a 10 to 12 sack guy. And I don't think that's, any sort of like hot take or, or bold prediction. I, I think he has that sort of potential. Well, for me, the one thing that Clowney was very underrated, Clowney was a very good run defender. And if you watch a lot of times, so there's a lot of times he doesn't make the play, but he takes things on with the right shoulder. Um, he, he's not always a great pass rusher, but he was pretty solid even through his, uh, even through a little bit last year, he's pretty solid against the run. Uh, but I agree in terms of what Zadarius Smith gives you uh, flexibility-wise. And the ability to play the three technique inside of Miles Garrett is going to be huge for the Browns this year. And then you t- and then you throw in Dalvin Thompson, who can shade that nose and that make that center block him. Now you're going to get one-on-ones for those guys over there. And, again, they're going to pass rush to stop the run. So versatility-wise um, – I don't know whose sack numbers are going to be up, but I think the entire, you know, they only had 30 last year. So you're going to get much more production uh, from everybody else because of the fact that Darius Smith is going to cause a lot of problems. Um, especially, I, I still think his number one uh, quality this year will be at that three technique. I think he's going to be, a, he's, a, he's a load in there at the three technique. When you watch him uh, with Green Bay, going back to his Green Bay days, he's really, really good inside there. So, um, yeah, I think his uh, potential is very good. But they once again a team that didn't stop the run very well. Clowney was probably their best run defender, or if you know in the top two or three, uh, one or two, three top to run defenders. So uh, they got to those guys have to stop the run first, and I will say that forever. They got to stop the run. Zadarius last year had nine and a half sacks in the first nine games, and then 
was dealing with an injury and, and tailed off. But that, I mean, that's more sacks than Jadavion Clowney had in all of 2021, which was his best year here. And Jadavion was never, he was, he's never been a big sack guy, honestly. Like if you look at his numbers, he's normally been lower than you would expect. He's kind of a, you know, he jumps off the page because he's so big and so athletic and you do notice him on the field, but he's never been a big, like sack guy. I think Zadarius Smith is going to be able to finish some of the plays. Maybe Clowney couldn't. Well, he's definitely a, definitely a double move guy. You know, he's not quitting. If you look at, he's going to try, if he does that first move, doesn't win. He, he gets to the second one where Clowney does not uh, usually attempt the second one. So Clowney's got to win early. Zadarius Smith, if you, tons of his sacks come from scramble. So I agree with you on that for sure. And one, one last point. It is a, it is a contract year now for Zadarius because they, they knocked off that remaining year on the deal after this year. So I'll have one last question still related to defense. Will the Browns defense or offense be better this year? And whether that's statistically where they rank in the league, whether that's you watch them and say, hey, who won the game for them today? Whether it's just like who you feel better about when that side of the ball's on the field. Which side's better, Dan? Offense. I'm I'm high on what Deshaun Watson can can be for this team. Um, I, I've just, I've always liked Deshaun Watson, the player. I, when he was at Clemson, loved it. Um, I, there's a post somewhere on cleveland.com and it, I'm not saying this to take a victory lap because it's wrong, but there was a post somewhere that I wrote that the Browns should take Deshaun Watson number one, the year that, that he came out in the draft. Like that's what I've always thought of him as a player. Is he going to be 2020 Deshaun again? I don't know, but he's not going to be 2022 Deshaun. I know that. So if he's like two thirds or 85% of Deshaun Watson, 2020, and what he was in Houston, I think this offense goes to a whole nother level. Um, and you still have Nick Chubb. I really like the Elijah Moore signing. I'm just, I'm, I'm bullish on what this offense can be. The only thing, and Doug, you'll love this. I think Jim Schwartz is probably a better coordinator than Kevin Stefanski. So you know, Stefanski, the play caller or Schwartz, the play caller, I would probably take Schwartz, but I just, I'm bullish on this offense. I think they're going to be really good. I think they're going to help the defense a lot. So I'm going to take the offense here. Well, if I'm forced to pick, I'm going to take the offense, but I'm going to go with this. The offense is just like everything else in football. It's going to be based on playing complimentary football. So the idea that they have to get in better situations, uh, the offense has got to put the defense in better situations, and the defense also has to create some turnovers. They also got to give the offense some short fields. They also got to be able to get some easier yards. Uh, everything can't be so hard on offense right now in terms of it's always second six or always second five. They got to get some easy yards, some big plays. I think they have the personnel to do that this year for sure, um, especially with the Elijah Moore signing and, and just guys getting older and guys getting uh, into Sean Watson being a full year. So I will I will take the offense, but again they gotta they gotta play complimentary complimentary football uh, in all three phases. They gotta punt the ball well, they gotta cover kicks well, they gotta return the ball better, uh, get better field position. Uh, all that ties into it. It, it. It's the ultimate team game, but the offense should be very explosive this year. You would think at least. Do you know why this is the perfect? Is this the last question? I have one more question. Okay. I do have one more question. Well, do you know why this is the perfect next to last question? <laughs> because why is that? We do all this podcasting. We do five podcasts a week. We write thousands of words about the Cleveland Browns. We break this team down top to bottom. We go through the 53-man roster. We talk about everybody. It's one of the strengths of, of this podcast and our Browns coverage. We can talk about everybody. But 
guess what it all comes down to in the end? Deshaun Watson. Like, it really is kind of that simple when you just strip it all down. It just comes down to, did you trade three first-round picks and pay $230 million to a top-five quarterback, or is he never going to be that guy again? And that's sort of the answer to every question. I'm not saying don't listen to us because we talk about a lot of other stuff and it's all we're talking about, but it is, it is perfect that we've kind of ended up at this point because that's sort of what it's all about. I thought you were going to say it all comes down to brotherhood. That would have been my guess, but you then since you said it was Deshaun Watson. So I didn't, I didn't know what it was. Uh, here's my last thing. I can't remember if I don't think I talked about it on this podcast. Cause I haven't been on in a while on the college football survivor show that I do with my co-host Shahan J. Haraja. We rewatched the 2017 Oklahoma-Georgia playoff semifinal because we were kind of doing a Kirby Smart Lincoln Riley kind of thing. And first of all, the game starts with Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb shaking hands at midfield and my head exploded. And like I knew that, but still it was like, are we in a time machine? What if those guys would be on the same team? How good would that team be? Oh, my God. And then you watch the game and the Georgia Bulldogs have Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb in the backfield. And like Sony Michelle hits some holes and has some yards. And Nick Chubb is just breaking nine tackles on every single play. And it's like he's playing by himself and it doesn't matter. How did Bill Belichick draft Sony Michelle ahead of Nick Chubb? You watch that game. I don't know if Bill Belichick didn't have, if his TV broke for that game. I don't know if he got them confused. They both had a lot of yards. How did the Browns have Nick Chubb sitting there for them? I would take a third of Nick Chubb over Sony Michelle. He was awesome in college. I just wanted to end on a positive note. What a Brown. It's it's funny you say that. I did see that you guys did that podcast. And it's funny you mentioned that because shortly after that, I was scrolling mindlessly through I don't know, Twitter or Instagram, Facebook, something like that. And I came across a video that was... Highlights, it was titled Highlights of Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle against Oklahoma, like from that game. It was just all Nick Chubb, and it was just every single run from Nick Chubb was spectacular. I think there was maybe one like Sony Michelle run in there, and every other run was Nick Chubb just destroying people and scoring touchdowns and just handing the ball to the official and like grudgingly celebrating with his teammates. Unbelievable. The, the secret is Bill Belichick went through a stretch there where he was just really bad at drafting. Um, yeah. He could have taken Lamar Jackson, too. That would have been interesting. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how he let that happen. His, uh, his mistake was the Browns' fortune. You'll remember that Austin Corbett also was drafted by the Browns right before Nick Chubb. So uh, that was the old Brock Osweiler pick that they used for, yeah. uh, for that one. So I don't know. Lance, it's it's Crazy. not an exact science, but Doug's right. How do you watch that game and say, eh, I'd rather have Sonny Michelle? I remember going back in and watching film on those guys. And when you watch film, I would say, um, first of all, as a true runner, I don't know how. I thought he was – he's just fantastic. The whole – that his entire career, he's fantastic. It looks the same as it is with the Browns. But I would say if you're like a general manager kind of guy and you think about what the NFL is, um, is his uh, – the complaint was or the lack that you thought he might be struggling with a little bit is his ability to catch the ball in the backfield. So that was kind of the going into going into his draft thing. That was kind of, um, is he, is he just a one or two down back or does he have to come out on third down? Um, which 
it does, he never, if you give him the ball, you don't get to a lot of third downs in my opinion, um, because he's that good, but that would be, that would be the only reason I could say, um, that he would slid to slide was why he slid to where he did because they didn't use him a bunch out of the backfield in terms of catching the ball, lining up in formations and doing, doing a bunch of different stuff that, you know, a lot of NFL coaches like those backs to do. That'd be my only guess because I don't know. I'm with you. That game was, I'll never forget that game. He was, it was, it was like he was playing against a peewee team. Yeah. Here's, here's my other Nick Chubb question. In 2019, the year Nick Chubb should have won the rushing title. The Browns go into Cincinnati, the tanking Cincinnati Bengals, and they lose by 10 points uh, to Cincinnati. And Nick Chubb carries the ball 13 times. And about three hours later, we watched Derrick Henry just absolutely steal the rushing title with a legendary performance. And I'm still, I still can't believe that for all the things Freddie Kitchens did, he didn't just say, you know what? Nick Chubb, we're getting you the, run, the rushing title. You're going to carry yeah. it 40 times today. And I'm going to ride off into the sunset. And at least I did that. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. What but, are you going to do? I wish they would, you know, I, like I said, I wish they, there's so many times during game, we've talked about a ton, like just give him the ball. You know, I know, <laughs> I know it's simple and it sounds simple, but just there's some guys, you know, and I know Dan, you're going to laugh when I say this, but it's players over plays. And he is so, even at the NFL level, he's so talented. Just give him the ball. You know, he averages, I mean, there's no way he shouldn't get the ball. People are like to tread on his tires. I don't know. Standing next to Nick Chubb last year, his, his legs are, he can handle a lot of, he can handle a lot of contact. That young man can handle a lot of contact. Give him the football. I'm with you on that. I'm not, I have no, I have no arguments there. No rebuttals for me on that one. Here's my, here's my question. Is Nick Chubb Jim Brown? <laughs> it's, it's a, isn't it weird? Like when you're in it, I don't know if you know when you're in it. And I think in the modern day, I think smartly we're reluctant to go there. To be like, well, what do you think of this guy? It's like, he's the best running back of all time. It's like, you can't say that. It's like, he's been in the league for five. Like, what are you talking about? But I don't know. Like, I don't know. Did people, I guess people, while they were watching Jim Brown, they were like, oh, yeah, this is, nobody's like this. They must have been. I don't know. My dad. I don't know. My dad is a, um, you know, high school coach for 45 years, diehard football person. You know, the the 100-hour weeks, he's that guy. And when I, it's not even close. Jim Brown is not the best running back. He's the best player. And it's not even close. Like that's, that's when you talk to my dad, people, my dad's age, that's the, that's the answer. And there's, you know, my dad's like, you'd have been good then. He'd be good now. He'd be good anytime. He's the best. He's, you know, that's, there's no question in my dad's mind, uh, that generation that he's the best. Yeah, I mean, I look, I know people probably heard me ask that and were, like, angry at me. I, I'm not saying Nick Chubb is the greatest running back or greatest football player of all time, but I'm just saying, like, I watch him run, and I look at the numbers, I look at the Incredible. stats. It's like, he really is going to end his, like, if he has any sort of longevity beyond this contract, mm. and he stays with the Browns, he's going to break Jim Brown's records. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, so he's... He's not the greatest running back. I'm not saying he is Jim Brown. I, I ask, you know, I'm but he's pretty good. Half kidding he's, with that question. No, yeah, but he's pretty good. He's he might go down as the second best Browns running back ever. Yeah, yeah. Easily. I mean, is he one of the ten best running backs of all time? Like, yeah, that, like that's, that's you got an argument right like, already. We, yeah, and that, and it's funny that's because the kind of thing that you could talk about. Yeah, it's funny because you got Derrick Henry now. You got like, I mean, there's a couple guys right now that you could say are are in that discussion. I just. Mm-hmm. It's it's wild the things that that, that Nick Chubb has accomplished um, already. So there we go. 
end the podcast positive by comparing note. Nick Chubb to end Jim Brown. Positive note. Oh no, that's right. We had a positive note, and then we went too far. But we still, <laughs> we think he's good. That's all. We think he's good. Is Deshaun Watson Tom Brady? No. <laughs> <laughs> that. <laughs> That's, that'll stir the, the pot. Browns yeah. offense will be led by Tom Brady and Jim Brown this year. What do you think? It's like Dan can't wait to write that story. <laughs> All right, there we go. Doug's questions here on the Order Brown Talk podcast. Um, got things to promote here. Uh, Football Insider. You get a newsletter every day. You become one of our texters. You get access to those stories on Cleveland.com/slash/Browns uh, that are for subscribers only. You got to go to Cleveland.com/slash/Browns. Click the blue banner at the top of the page. Get signed up for that. I mentioned our YouTube channel, Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com. If you search that, you'll find us on YouTube, uh, especially once we start getting into training camp, which is very close. We're going to be doing shorts. We're going to be doing videos from practices, all sorts of things uh, like that. Even though our videographer, Dave Anderson, is leaving us and retiring, uh, we'll still we'll still give it a go. The YouTube channel will be uh, will be populated. So get subscribed there. Subscribe to, uh, to Orange Brown Talk on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us five-star reviews. Doug, I mean, I'm promoting stuff. Why don't you Why don't you jump in here with some promos for your Ohio State stuff and anything else you've got going on? Yeah, so the College Football Survivor Show is twice a week. We're doing uh, conference playoff previews. We've done the Big 12. We've done the SEC. The Big 10 should be around the corner next week. And on Buckeye Talk, an Ohio State football podcast that we do five days a week, the Friday episode will be about traffic. <laughs> so it's kind of, you know, it's the offseason. What are going to do? I talked to an Ohio State professor who was a traffic expert, and we talked a lot about roundabouts and merging and me hating the fact that people leave a gap in between their cars at a stoplight. <laughs> he had to explain to me, like, maybe why that's good. So if traffic makes you angry, listen to the Buckeye Talk podcast on Friday. <laughs> I actually might listen to that now. You can listen to it while you're sitting in traffic. Yeah. That would be I don't perfect. know if it'll, make it, if it'll make it better or worse, but you certainly could try it. <laughs> all right uh five days a week for buckeye talk obviously just like uh just like with orange and brown talk as well uh lance doug i appreciate you doing this i'll talk to you both later